Amen. You can be seated. Welcome to Centennial Church. My name is Ross. We are so glad that you're here this morning on a special day and a special welcome to guests. Glad that you're here to worship with us. It is a big day in the life of our church family. After the service this morning, uh, we are going to have a family meeting. It's kind of our annual meeting every year that we look ahead, uh, also look back see what happened in 2015, but also look ahead uh, to what God, uh, we think, God wants to do in our, in our church body this year. So invite those of you, certainly that are members, to stay and be a part. But if you're a guest, if you've been around here a while, you're interested in what's going on around here, you are certainly welcome uh, to join us. So please uh, stick around. We'll have lunch for you, and we've ordered uh, some extra ones, and some of us uh, could afford to give our lunch away anyway. So uh, you can, you can stay around, have lunch with us, and uh, sit in on this. We'd love, we'd love to have you. Uh, so this morning, in preparation uh, for our family meeting and just talking about uh, our vision this year, I really wrestled with kind of where to, where to go in that. For the last uh, five weeks, we've been in a series that we finished last week called All Things New. And one of the, one of the uh, struggles that I had with that series is just hoping that you wouldn't get the wrong idea as we talk about newness, okay? The, the focus of that series was what God is doing to bring newness to our hearts and br- indeed bring newness uh, to a new world that we will one day enter. We talked about those things, but I think uh, particularly in the culture that we're a part of right here in Collin County, we can actually be a little bit obsessed with newness, if you know what I mean. I mean, everything is new, right? I was thinking uh, about it this week. I mean, if you just think around this general area, what, what was here 15 years ago? Not field, not much. You know, this building here, we built this building in uh, 2003. It isn't 15 years old. Uh, Most of the roads, certainly 121 that goes right in front of us here was not here. Stonebriar Mall, which is this huge mall that many of us frequent, was not here 15 years ago. Uh, The roads, some of the roads might have been here, but they were two laners. And uh, some of the schools might be older than 15 years. Many of them, though, uh, younger than 10 years, many of them younger than five years. But we, we are in an area that craves, that desires, that is surrounded by newness. Uh, and sometimes it makes us snobby people, or I can speak for myself at least. It makes me a snobby person. I mean, I go back, I grew up in Oklahoma, and we drive uh, back to where I grew up. We drive through the small towns of Oklahoma, and just being in McKinney, being in Frisco, I look around and like, this, this place is trash, you know? This is it's worn out. Everything is old, it's falling apart, man, they need to... Get, get with Texas, you know? Um, so I get a little snotty about the newness and that everything shines here, everything sparkles here. And though that certainly wasn't the point of this sermon series, I hope you did not take away from it that new is better, that newer is automatically truer. That's not the truth. Newer does not equal truer. And there's nothing wrong with old. Old does not equal outdated. And I think we need to be reminded of that. And as we think about our vision this year, and as I wrestled with this this week, I thought, you know what? What we most need in our lives, personally, and what we most need as a church family 
is not actually something new, but something very old. In fact, something ancient. Something, in fact, eternal. So that's where I'd like to draw our attention this morning, back to the centrality of who we are as a people, the centrality of of what we are as a church, by looking not at something new, but at something ancient, something, in fact, eternal. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning, but we'll start here in 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, I will read the passage for us. We're just going to look at the first four verses And then I'll pray for us and we'll talk a little bit about this. And guess what? Because of this meeting, I've made a pact to finish early, okay? So if we don't finish early, it totally rests on me. It's all my fault, okay? So someone up here on the front row is going to give me the, you know, the the uh, tap on the tap on the wrist, okay? 11:25 we're going to be done, okay? Warning sign at 11:20. All right? So here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses. Let's read it and then I will uh, pray for our time, okay? Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for so many great folks, so many great brothers and sisters, and the chance to worship together to walk through life together. Lord, as we look in your word this morning, I pray that you would refresh us, that you would remind us of what's truly important and that that truth of you, of your gospel, would sink deeply into our hearts, would transform our minds and help us to live in a way that is pleasing to you. God, we thank you for this news that we have, for this hope that we have. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who makes it possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15 there, and 1 Corinthians I picked because it is such a distillation. It is such a summary of what really we need to be about as a church. Notice uh, how he starts chapter 15 there. He says, now I would remind you. He's not telling us, he's not telling the church of Corinth anything new, he's actually reminding us of something. He's reminding us of the gospel. We'll come back to that in a second. But this good news, this gospel that has been preached by Paul that he has believed and he has passed on to them. But notice in verse 3 that he also describes this nugget. He describes this summary. Look at verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance. You might want to underline first importance. What we're getting here in these brief verses is the main things, the first thing. This is primary. This is central. This is of first importance. Maybe you uh, 
remember being in class, being in school. I know this happened to me both in college uh, as well as seminaries, but uh, seminary time. But as maybe as you were studying with people, have you ever noticed people that when they study and they're reading through a book, have you ever seen those people that when they highlight in their book, they highlight the whole page? Have you ever seen people do that? Maybe if you want to raise your hand and confess you are one of those people. I had someone confess that uh, as I was talking to the teachers earlier this morning. They were like, yeah, I, I do that. That, uh, sorry, Deanna, but that has never made sense to me. What, what good does it do to highlight the whole page if you leave nothing unhighlighted? How does it stick out? How, how does it show you what's most important? Uh, it seems backwards to me. You know, if, if everything is important, then nothing is important. If you highlight the whole page, nothing sticks out. And Paul is saying here, I want to show you, I want to remind you of what's first importance. What is of first importance? What is central? What is primary? And we need to be reminded of that. I've been reminded of that this week as I've been talking to a, a neighbor friend and we've begun a, a kind of a one-on-one Bible study. He's not familiar uh, with the scriptures and I've been talking to him. I've had to kind of think through this. And as, as I talk to him, i like, you know, this, this is a pretty thick book. Where do you start? What's the main thing? What's of first importance? You know, this, this Bible has 66 individual books within it. The Old Testament, 39. The New Testament, 27. If you look just in the Old Testament, you'll find 600 some odd commands that God has given his people. If you read through the New Testament, you'll read a lot of stories about Jesus and his disciples. You'll think, what what do I need to focus on? What's the key? What's of first importance? And as I was talking with my friend Justin, I said, you know what? If you really want to distill it down, If you really want to summarize it, if you really want to highlight what's of first importance, it really, Justin, all comes down to this. Jesus Christ. Christianity is called Christianity because we believe that Jesus is the Christ. It centers upon the person and work of Jesus. The whole Bible points, explains, looks to, hopes for focuses upon Jesus. That's central. That's what Paul is saying here. This is of first importance. In the Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament, it it predicts Jesus. You might say that the Old Testament is Jesus predicted. The Gospels, the four books of the first four books of the New Testament are Jesus presented or Jesus revealed. This is the life of Jesus. And not only his life, but as we'll see central here, his death. And more importantly, his resurrection. The Gospels, Jesus revealed Acts. The book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. And that is Jesus preached. As Jesus' followers go to the ends of the earth with this message, they are preaching, they are telling about Jesus. The epistles, the other letters in the New Testament after the Gospels and the Acts, that is Jesus explained. And then the last book of the New Testament is Jesus expected. He's coming again. If you had to distill it all down, 66 books, all these commandments, all these stories, what is the centerpiece What is the focus? What is the climax? It's the person and work of Jesus. That's what we need to be about. 
That's what our hearts need to be focused on, not just at an annual vision meeting, but every day of our life. That's what we need to be focused upon as individuals as well as a church. Amen. Jesus. Notice that he calls this message back, 1 Corinthians 15. You notice that he describes this message, <clears throat> excuse me, as the gospel. I want to remind you, brothers, not of something new, I want to remind you of the gospel. Gospel is this Bible word that translated means simply good news. The main thing, the central thing of our faith is this gospel that is good news. And folks, that is an important definition because the gospel, the Christian message is good news versus every other religion in the world. Tim Keller just says it like this. Every other religion in the world is advice, but the gospel is news. Good news. What that means is that every other philosophy, every other worldview, every other religion that you talk to, they're going to have some advice for you. Hey, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Well, gosh, you think, man, that doesn't Christianity do that? Well, in a sense, it does. But every other religion is saying, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to behave. This is how you need to get right. This is how you need to find enlightenment. Do this. Here's some advice. So you could also categorize Christianity or contrast Christianity, whereas every other religion says, do this. Christianity says, God's done it. God's done it for you. That's the good news. It's not something, it's not action that you have to do. It's news that you have to receive. He says, I want to remind you of this gospel, this news that I preached to you. It was a message and that you received it. It was delivered to you as a first importance. It's not works, good works. Religion is good works. The gospel or Christianity is good news. It's grace, whereas every other philosophy is merit. What you do to earn God's favor, what you do to find spiritual enlightenment. It's news, not advice. What is the specifics of that news? He tells us in verses three and four. He simply distills it like this. Verses three and four. For I delivered to you, <clears throat> excuse me, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's the good news, that Christ, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, died, but not only that, that he died, but he interprets what Jesus has done in his death. He died for our sins. Why did he do that? Well, the Bible talks about how because of our falling short, because of our rejection of God, because we've tried to make ourselves the center of our life rather than God, the Bible calls that sin, and the Bible says that we deserve just punishment because of that sin. So Paul will say in Romans that all have sinned and that the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the good news here, here according to verse 3, is that Jesus died for our sins in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserve so that we could be freed from punishment, be forgiven, and have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we do. 
Jesus died for our sins, but he didn't just die for our sins. He wasn't defeated by death. He defeated death himself by his resurrection. Look at verse 4. First of all, he emphasizes death by saying, uh, not only did he die for our sins, but he was buried. Just in case you want to make sure he really died, notice that he died and he was buried. It's important to know that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He defeated sin and death. What we believe as Christians is that Jesus has done something. He's taken our sin upon the cross. He's defeated sin and death through his resurrection. We'll celebrate it in about a month at Easter. That we really believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he came, that he dealt with our sin, and that he defeated that sin and death through his resurrection. And folks, that is either good news, truth, the good news, Or it's a hoax. But there's no in-between. It's either good news, truth, or it's a sham. And the Bible admits that. It's either one or the other, but it's not a middle ground. Look at how Paul will go on. Verses uh, 17, or excuse me, beginning of verse 14 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at what Paul says. He admits, this is a huge deal. You're either all in or all out. It's either all true or it's a sham. Look at what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It either is or it isn't. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. All of it hinges. The truth of Christianity hinges upon Jesus and upon his resurrection. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. He's either the hope of the world or the biggest hoax you've ever heard. One biblical author, scholar named N.T. Wright has said it like this in much the same way as the Apostle Paul, but N.T. Wright says this. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That fire has become flesh. That life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it is a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying, that either, with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. What is N.T. Wright saying? What is the, the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying that God, that Jesus Christ, either deserves it all, deserves your total allegiance, your total worship, or he should be called a liar, a lunatic. And that's the way people in the first century responded. No one in the first century said, yeah, Jesus, kind of like him. Nice guy. They either bowed down and worshiped him and those first followers gave their lives for him or they tried to kill him. They said he's crazy, he's out of his mind, he's mad. But there was none of this middle ground of, you know, Jesus, yeah, kind of like him. He didn't give us that option. He's either God or a sham. Flip over to Colossians chapter 1. We see the practice of this 
the meaning of this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. don't know if you can see that on the screen, but Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Paul here is going to describe who Jesus is. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Jesus said in his own words, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was his claim. Not a claim that, hey, I'm just a nice guy. A claim that I'm God, that I'm the Savior, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Paul will describe who Jesus is in Colossians chapter 1 here. And these verses are packed. Look at how he describes Jesus. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the picture, the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus to see what God is like. He is the firstborn of all cre- creation. That means he's, he's primary. He's preeminent. We'll see in just a second. Verse 16. Who created the world? Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus didn't just come into creation. The Bible claims that Jesus created all things. This is why when the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons knock on your door, this is why we, don't, we can't embrace them as brothers or sisters in Christ because they believe that Jesus was a, was a creation of God the Father. The scriptures and Christians have always believed that Jesus created all things. And he goes on to explain, created things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. He explains more. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created, and then underline this, all things were created through him and for him. How were you created? By God. For what were you created? For God. All things were created through him And all things are for him. You rightfully belong to the creator God. And that creator God is Jesus. He created you. You belong to him. All things were created through him and for him. Everything that you've been stewarded with, everything that he has given you is ultimately from him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only did he create it, but he holds it together. Hebrews chapter 1 will say that, that Jesus hold, all, holds all things get together by the power of his word. He created it, he holds it all together. And look at verse 18 closely with me. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Sometimes you hear people say that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and then purpose clause, underline that. What's the result or what's the purpose for all those things of who God is? That, underline that. That in everything, he might be preeminent. That he might be preeminent. What's the word preeminent mean? We, haven't, we don't use that word probably a lot in normal language. So I, I looked it up for us this week. Uh, preeminent means surpassing all others. Superior. Greatest in importance or degree or significance. What the scriptures are saying. 1 Corinthians 15, Colossians chapter 1. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is of first importance. 
that Jesus is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and because he is, all things owe worship to him. That he should be first. That he should be superior. That he should be the center of everything in our lives. Preeminent. And why, the reason I'm focusing us on this passage this morning is because, because folks, this is, the, this is the reminder. This is the first importance we're going to lay out for you some new things in our meeting. We're going to talk about some new emphasis in ministry. We're going to talk about our hopes going forward. But folks, it's all for naught if we take our eyes off Jesus and make him preeminent in our lives, to be preeminent in our church. The good news of Jesus. I don't know, uh, maybe you're experience probably been different than mine, but let me, let me share a little bit of you why I'm passionate about this because somewhere along the way, I grew up in church. I grew up hearing about Jesus. I came to faith in Christ at a young age, but uh, maybe you're like me. Maybe if you've sat through Christianity, through church and been a part of the Christian faith for a while, you, you adopted some uh, assumptions that I also adopted that are really faulty, uh, that are really flawed, and that is that you become a Christian by coming to Jesus and that you grow as a Christian by self-discipline and by personal effort. Folks, that's a lie. Jesus and the gospel of Jesus is, is not the front door into the Christian faith. The gospel of Jesus is not the front door of the Christian faith. It's, it's the entire foundation of the faith. The gospel is, is not just the key that starts the engine. The gospel of Jesus is the engine that moves the whole car. We never graduate from the good news of Jesus. We never move on. We never outgrow the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just move deeper into it. And so I'm convinced that what you and I need both reminded of every week, every day is that Jesus has saved us by grace, that the gospel is true, that it's our power, that it's our hope. We need reminded of that every day, every Sunday. An old preacher named Charles Spurgeon used to say that the most important thing every day is that we preach the gospel to ourselves. And by preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, we, we live out the implications of what that gospel means. If, if Jesus has saved me and I'm now a, a child of God, what does that mean for my identity? What does that mean for my priorities? What does that mean for my concerns, for my worries, if I'm a child of God now because of the gospel? But we never outgrow it. It's not the ABCs, it's the A to Zs. Look in verse 28 of chapter 1. 28 of Colossians 1 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Who do we proclaim? Verse 28. Him. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is who we proclaim. Now, if you read that, you might think, yeah, we proclaim Jesus. Why? So that people will get saved, so that people will come to faith in Christ. Yes, we proclaim Jesus for that. But what does this verse say we proclaim Jesus for? 
Not just for people to get saved, but get this, for people to grow mature. Look at that. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How do you grow mature in Christ? By continually reminding yourself, by continually coming back to the gospel that is Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected for you. Not just to get you saved, but to help you grow up. Not just to become a child, but to become a mature child of God. What's our first order of business as a church? What's our first order of business as people? It's to stay focused on Jesus, that he would be preeminent in our lives. He's the first thing. He's the preeminent thing. Everything else is periphery, but this is first importance. What's the, what's the center of your life this morning? Something is at the center of your life. Something is. Something is at the center of your life. Something or someone is the hero of your life. If it's not Jesus, it's something else or someone else. What the scriptures are reminding us of this morning is that what should be preeminent in our life, what should be preeminent in our church is Jesus and Jesus alone. Pray with me. Father God, we are so prone to forget, so prone to wonder, so prone to leave our first love, to leave our priority. And we, got, we pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, by your word this morning, you will soften our hearts to the goodness of the gospel for your grace to us in the gospel, that it would deeply plant within our hearts that our eyes would be focused upon Jesus and what he's done for us, that we wouldn't look elsewhere for our acceptance, for our love, that we wouldn't look elsewhere for our fulfillment, but God, that we would look to you and you alone as our Savior, as the beautiful one, as the only one worthy of worship. Lord, may it be true of us personally. May it be true of our church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.